discipleship classes are going to be something that we've never done here as a church before. We are ready to equip you guys as the church, as it's talked about in Ephesians chapter 4, to do the work of ministry. And so my job is to help you understand scripture better and to help you know biblically how to invest in the lives of other people. And so we're excited about that as well. As our missions month, uh, a few of uh, some very close friends of mine who are missionaries and on the mission field will be here uh, with us to share what's, what God is doing in their ministries. I'm really excited about that. Now, um, if you are a guest with us this morning, uh, welcome to the well. My name is Joshua Cahill. Uh, I am the lead pastor here, and we are glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. And if you would, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Now, we are in week three of our series, Ruth, Finding Hope in the Midst of Hopelessness. And today we're going to be diving in a little bit deeper into this book. I know we've spent the last couple of weeks in chapter one of Ruth. We've looked at hope. We've looked at all the devastation and the destruction that has occurred and we wrapped up that book this last week with a challenge to us as a church about whether or not we are going to be all in. If we're ready to give everything that we have to God and to walk in obedience. Now, I want us to pick back up, though, at the very last line of chapter 1 before we dive into chapter 2. And I want you to see something with me. The last line of chapter 1 says, And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. In the beginning of barley harvest. Now that single sentence there speaks so much to us. Most people look over it. Most people miss it. But I need for us as a church this morning to understand why the writer put that line in there. It will help us to understand the context of chapter 2 way better. From this point forward, from that moment they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. From that point in the book, everything begins to change for the better. From that one line there, we would say that we begin to see a fresh start, a do-over, a new beginning for these ladies here and their life. And it's what many people long for. Would you guys agree with that? We long for a fresh start. We long for a do-over, a new beginning of sorts. And here we are about to see it. People in in churches and outside of churches all across the world are looking for a new and a fresh start. They're looking to move from grief to gladness. They're looking to move from barrenness to bounty. People all around the world are looking to move from hopelessness to happiness, from bitterness to beauty, from graves to gardens. I think we were just singing that song a little bit ago, weren't we? From graves to gardens. We here are told in scripture. The verse is going to come to the screen for you. But First Peter chapter 5 tells us. And that after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Will himself restore you. Will confirm you. Will strengthen you. And will establish you. It says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
What that verse is telling us is that even though Ruth was going through what she was going through, even Naomi going through what she was going through, had hope to know that Christ himself will strengthen, will restore, will lift up, will see you through for his glory. It's the verse that Peter talked about thousands of years later into the New Testament when he was talking to the Christians and he was saying to them, Christian, you're going to experience suffering, but that's okay. It's all for the sake of Christ. Ruth here, though, gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to begin with the God of grace all over again. Now, you're going to have to bear with me this morning because I want to read through this passage of Scripture and we got to see the entire picture here. So we got to read through this whole chapter. So I'll do my very, very best to get through this without skipping. Um, I need you guys to see a few things that occur here. But it starts in verse number 1 in chapter 2 and it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, Lord, be with you. And they answered, Lord, bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? He's talking about Naomi. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And Boaz said to Ruth in verse number 8, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? There's a lot of stuff going on here. Boaz comes onto the scene and Ruth is out working. She's come to this new place and she's ready to get her past in her Back there, I, I, I don't want to even think about this anymore. I want to move forward. I want to begin to work. I want to begin to fend for myself. I've come to this new place and I can't just sit here and wallow. And she comes to this man and he sees her working in his field. And they have this very brief exchange where she's begging, can I please work the field after your workers? It'll come after. I don't have to take what you have at the beginning, but let me take the leftovers. And she comes, she comes now in verse number 12. It says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be, will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed her her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. And she, is, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed this young man saying, let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundle for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and, and it was about an aphaph of barley. So that's just a very, very small portion of barley is all she had. And it says, and she took it and went up into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? And blessed be the man who took notice of you. And there's just a brief exchange here in these last few verses where she comes to realize that she worked in Boaz's field and Boaz was a relative of her husband's clan. And this is where chapter 2 kind of closes. Now I need us to see something in this passage of scripture. I need us to see this exchange that's occurred and, and it says that when starting over, when beginning again, we must keep in mind that before you think you need a change of circumstances or a change of location, God is always more interested in refining your character than he is relocating you. God is way more interested in refining your character than he is relocating you to somewhere new. A change of location could possibly come it may be his plan for you, but his plan is to change you first before relocating you. Starting over does not come without its challenges, though. For many of God's people, we don't want to deal with the adversity that comes with change. We don't. We, we want to become a little bit more like Naomi and have her attitude saying, no, I'm going to just sit here and, and call me bitter because this is who I am and this is what I am. But God's grace, God's grace is calling us to change. God's grace is calling us to change. Do you know for Ruth, I explained this a little bit last week, she was a Moabite. She was not even allowed to be in Bethlehem. Not even on the best of days was she allowed to be in the presence of the Israelites. But the moment in scripture where she turned towards the Lord, everything changed. It shifted. There was this moment of time when the grace came in and God was ready to begin to use her for something fresh and new for his glory. Ruth, the one who was the outcast. The one who would have been left to die alone as a widow. Church, I believe Artie West said it perfectly when he said that new beginnings are often immersed in the waters of adversity. New beginnings are often immersed in the waters of adversity. To rush through this chapter of scripture is to miss the struggle and overlook the realities of life. There is always grace. Always grace. But remember, there are always challenges. I'm going to say that again. There is always grace. But there are always going to be challenges. Always. Always. 
So the first thing I want us to see this morning is that new beginnings are always found in Bethlehem. New beginnings are always found in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, as as we've spoken the last two weeks, was going to be the birthplace of Christ. There was grace found and it was abundant. We know that from Ephesians chapter 2 that God is rich in mercy. Not, Not just he has a little mercy. It is an abundant amount of mercy. It is limitless. He is rich in mercy and grace. We know that. And here we see a perfect picture of this. I want you to imagine for just a moment with me, Ruth. She's coming to Bethlehem for the first time. She's never been there. Imagine all of the sights, the sounds. This last couple of days, um, I was just thinking through and praying over this message and in this passage of scripture and I began to to understand a little bit better of, of how Ruth may have been feeling for the last several days uh, I have been with our men's ministry up in Munising in the UP and um, I've never ever been to Munising before um, and the last time I was in the UP was 27 years ago I was a child And I begin to get out on the trail on Friday as we begin to walk through. And at first, um, it doesn't look like much. You're you're on this dirt path, um, and it's just tree. And it's like, oh, look, there's another tree. (laughs) There's another tree. And it's like, when am I going to see something really cool? I've never been here before. I can see that kind of tree at home. And I was like, at first, like I had, I'm sorry, I was kind of like Naomi. I was getting a little bitter because I'm like, I'm just seeing trees and leaves. And I just want to see something else. (laughs) But then we came to this very first stop. And there was this waterfall. And and I, I remember thinking to myself, man, that's beautiful. This running water, it's it's a beautiful cool day and you see where the water has just formed through the rocks I'm like oh okay so this makes it a little bit better but then we take off again and it's like tree 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 and I'm like oh come on when am I going to see something again and I started to I started to get into this mindset of like oh there's another dirt patch oh there's another mud puddle and, and then we came, and, and God hit me with a two-by-four as we get to what they call Chapel Rock. And I step out onto this platform, and all you see is just the beauty of landscape on Lake Superior. These massive rock formations. I should have uploaded pictures for you. And I remember the group was sitting there, and... Um, and God really convicted me about something in that moment of time. And I stepped off, of, off to the side because I just needed a moment alone with the Lord. And I just looked out and here's this beautiful teal water. Absolutely beautiful. And the sun and the background. And here are these amazing rock formations. And it's like a 200 foot drop to the water. And you can just see the shoreline and it just goes And I remember standing there, and God's like, you've never been here before. Think of all the sights. Think of all the sounds. Enjoy my beauty for just a moment. You get to be in my presence right here, right now. 
And I had this moment of heart check. And I began to think about this passage of scripture and think about what Ruth was going through. Things in her life had changed drastically. Things have been uprooted. Destruction was everywhere. She lost her spouse. She lost her father-in-law. She's with a mother-in-law who's bitter. Anybody have one of those? She's in this one place. She comes to somewhere fresh, somewhere new, because of God's grace. And for just a moment, I imagined what it was like to be Ruth. To see all the, the new sights, the sounds. Ruth comes to this new place and immediately she wants a change. She wanted something different. She wanted to leave her past behind her. I want to go and find food. I want to go and work. And Ruth was willing to do anything for a change. Anything. She was willing to go in front of people that she did not know. Ones that could have essentially stoned her just for being around them. She wanted a change of pace, a change of life, but not Naomi. Naomi was still in a place of bitterness. She didn't want to change. And there's a warning here for us as believers in this passage of Scripture. You can be in Bethlehem and still be bitter. Church, you can be in Bethlehem and still be bitter. Naomi stayed in her bitterness. While Ruth refused to be overtaken by her past, she was not going to become a bitter person. She wasn't going to stay hungry. And too many of God's people are eating the stale bread of their past while sitting in Bethlehem. You have something fresh and something new that you could take, and you don't. It's been given to you, and no one's doing anything with it. Don't be like Naomi. Too many of us are stuck in the past. We need to be like Ruth. We need to press in when things get hard. We need to ask God to change us because that's what he wants from us. To be a believer is to be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be changed. If you're not changing, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're stagnant. And stagnation leads to death and destruction in one's life. You see it over and over and over in Scripture. When people forsake Christ, destruction follows. Disobedience always breeds destruction. Ruth refused to wallow. She wanted to go. She wanted to work. She was seeing and she was smelling the grace of God and she knew that she had to leave the place that she was at to go and get it. God's blessings always abound, church. But God is never going to do something for you that you can do for yourself. I'm going to say that again. God's blessings always abound. But God is never going to do something for you that you can do for yourself. He's not. 
He's not going to open up your Bible for you and stick it in front of your face. He's not going to get you up on Sunday morning to get ready to come and worship. He's not going to force your heart to come here and commune with other believers. He's not going to force you to open your mouth, as terrible as it may sound coming out when we sing. He's not going to force you to do those things. God will never do for you what you can do for yourself. You know, that gleaning was no easy task for the worker. It's hard work. You're constantly bent over. You're constantly in the elements. You're constantly digging in the muck and the mud. You're dealing with people staring at you all the time because the ones who worked in the field were the servants. They were the lowest of people. It was tough and it's hard, but that's where Ruth was. She was out in the workplace getting things done. And she was getting a small portion compared to the bushels that people were taking home. It's a small portion. And when you see other people living it up and you're barely getting anything, church, we must remind ourselves of what Psalm 37 says. And it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Believe in God and be obedient even when it's hard. God's grace is discovered and enjoyed when we head in the direction of obedience. His grace is discovered when we're obedient. And so what does Ruth do? She heads out into the fields. She begins to glean and gather. And all that she knew was that there were some leftovers for her. Leftovers. That's it. But little did she know that those leftovers were provided for her by God hundreds of years prior. Hundreds of years. Do you know a law was implemented in the book of Deuteronomy that spoke to what Ruth was going to experience? It says this, it's going to come to the screen. It says, when you reap your harvest in the field and you forget a sheave in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. A law that was put into place hundreds of years before Ruth was even born. Long before Ruth ever came to Bethlehem, God was already planned to provide for her and ensure that she had something in every single person just like her. That's God's grace, people. That is God's grace. A perfect picture of God's grace. What seemed like leftovers here in this very moment to Ruth was actually an act of loving kindness from a grace-filled God. Anyone ever experience the leftover blessings from another person? Maybe you didn't see it that way at first, but then when you took a step back and you began to actually think about it, to thank God for it, to thank the person for it, you're like, man, That's amazing. Even the smallest of blessings is a blessing. There was a song that we used to sing when I was a child. A song that said, count your blessings, name them one by one. And I remember as a child, I'm like, didn't understand why I would count them. But then as I got older and I began to understand what the song, count your blessings, Name them one by one. Count your blessings. 
see what God has done. I began to look at life from a completely different perspective. Several years ago, uh, a man of wisdom sat across from a table from me and we were having coffee in a little, a little shop called Oasis. And this man was having a conversation about life and he asked me how things were going. And he says to me, out of the blue, completely catches me off guard. And he says to me, Josh, if you woke up today with only the things that you thanked God for yesterday, what would you have left? And at first I was like, why is he asking? And then I thought about it. If I woke up today with only the things I thank God for yesterday, what would I have left? And I spoke out loud, there would be very few things that I would still have. And there was a moment in which the Holy Spirit began to work in me there, in that moment, in a coffee shop. And from that point forward, I have essentially vowed with God, I will change my perspective and be thankful for every single thing that comes my way. Some, so much so that I feel like I annoy people because I tell them multiple times, I'm, thank you, I appreciate you, thank you, I appreciate you. And it's because I never ever want to take for granted the things that God allows to come to me. That's what they're talking about. Thank God for the little blessings that come your way. Thank God for the leftovers that are there for you. That's exactly what Ruth saw. And there's a picture for every single one of us here that's in this room. When we head down the pathway of obedience, we discover grace in all forms and facets. Now I need you to know that there is no accident, no accident that that grain was left there for Ruth. None. It was laid out ahead of time, providentially, by a gracious and a loving God. A gracious and a loving God. So the second thing I need us to see this morning is that God does not bless us by accident. God does not bless us by accident. What the writer is trying to get us to see here is, is a picture from our human perspective of something heavenly that is about to take place. There is no such thing as a coincidence. None whatsoever. God was working behind the scenes and Ruth's new direction brought her into the path that God had already laid out for her. He knew that that's where she would be. He knew that that law was going to affect her. That's God's sovereignty. And because of his sovereignty, we see pictures of God's grace we know that from the book of Romans chapter 8, a verse that's completely pulled out of context for the most part. Romans 8, 28 says that we know that all things work together for good of those who are called according to his purpose. Ruth was called according to God's purpose and that blessing was laid out hundreds of years before Ruth was even there. That is the goodness of God how many of you in here know a, a woman by the name of Fanny Crosby? A handful of you. Fanny Crosby was a, a, a woman who uh, is probably one of the most uh, renowned or proclaimed hymn writers of history. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. 
8,000 hymns. There was a time in Fanny's life where she was completely out of money. Uh, she didn't know if she was going to make it. She was going to starve. Um, she had nothing left. She was a devout Christian, though. A devout Christian. And whenever she got into trouble, one of the things that she always ran to was prayer. It was the first thing that she did. She would kneel beside her bed and she would begin to cry out. And most of the hymns that she wrote came because of prayers. She needed $5 to get herself out of debt and to make sure she had enough food for the next month. Five, $5. And she knelt beside her bed and she began to cry out to God, I don't know where I'm going to go from here, but I know that I know that I know that you will supply my need. In the middle of her prayer, a man knocked on her front door. She goes to that door and she opens it and the man says, if I give you $5, can I use your front porch to stay for a little bit? God gave her exactly what she needed, the exact amount of what she needed in order to live. And as she walked inside the door in excitement and joy, she knelt beside her bed and began to pray, thanking God. And this is what she said. She said, all the way my Savior leads me. Who have I to ask beside? How could I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace and divine comfort. Here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus does all things well. One of the most popular hymns from Fanny. All the way my Savior leads me. I will cheer each winding path I tread. He gives me grace for every trial. And he feeds me with the living bread. All the way my Savior leads me. Christian. Church. In our toughest of seasons. We must come to embrace the God of all seasons. Those blessings in the field, those leftovers for Ruth, they were a part of God's plan. And a part of the plan was Ruth finding a man who would eventually become her husband, though she doesn't know it yet. You know, Ruth gathered the blessings of God's grace and she could never imagine what was about to come her way. So do not forget, believer, gleaning in the fields of God's grace and living a life of obedience brings us into a path of greater blessing. Brings us into the path of greater blessing. Now onto the scene enters Boaz. And we're going to talk about him over the next several weeks as we will be here. But this man was a mighty man. He was a wealthy man, he was a good man, and he was a godly man, and he was going to become Ruth's husband. Only Ruth didn't know it yet. She's out working hard, and I want you to go back with me to verse number 7. I want you to see in exchange, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reverse. And so she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short 
rest. These men are talking about Ruth's character here. Do you know that in her work ethic, in her attitude, we see a woman who has given herself over to God. And it's no wonder that Boaz took notice of this woman. He says, who, whose is that woman right there? He took notice of her work ethic. And there's this, this thing about little Miss Moabite that Boaz took notice of. What was it? Church, I need you to know that godliness, godliness and hard work are attractive. Godliness, and I don't, I don't always mean that from a relational aspect. So singles in here, I don't always mean it that way. Godliness, godliness and hard work are attractive. It causes people to want to be that way. Biblical beauty is godliness, and it's hard to come by. But Ruth was displaying something completely different here. Her actions and her attitude reflected a life that was marked by discipline and dedication. Ruth was in the process of becoming the perfect picture of God's grace. She was the product of faithfulness and obedience, and it was desirable. It was desirable, church. But what we need to remember as we leave here today is that maybe some of us may need to make a U-turn and head back into the field of God's grace. And when you do so, you discover that God can fill you once again with hope and faith for a better future. Not a perfect future, but a better future that's, that's founded on Christ alone. You know, when life doesn't turn out the way that we plan, we are to remain faithful and obedient. We're to remain faithful and obedient. We need to learn to, to live and to glean on God's grace. Church, it is better to feast on God's grace than to try and fill your life with worldly delights that will never satisfy you. It is better to feast on God's grace. You may be in this room and you may, you may be bitter because of something that's happened to you. You may be feeling overwhelmed by situations and circumstances in your life right now. And you may even be tempted to think that God's grace is not enough for you. But I'm here to tell you that it is. God's grace is enough. We get a perfect picture here. Just in these first two chapters alone, Ruth reminds us that our present problems are no match for God's promises. Our present problems are no match for God's promises. How many of you in here would be willing to raise your hand and say that I need a little bit of God's grace in my life? Every hand better be raised. Yep, this isn't a trick question. It's not a trick how many of you in here would be willing to say that I'm, I've oftentimes found myself more in the place of Naomi 
than Ruth. I'm the bitter one. I took over as the pastor here technically on February 14th of this year. From February until now, there have been much change that's occurred in this church. Some people have left. New people have come. New leadership has taken over in many different ways. And uh, for the last eight months or so, um, I have gone home uh, to my beautiful wife. Uh, for those of you who do not know, she's sitting right here on the front row. Um, and for months and months and months of all of these changes and all of these moves here in this building, um, I have asked um, of my wife multiple times um, and made this statement, what is God doing? What is God doing in our change? What is God doing in the hurt? What is God doing in the discouragement? What is God doing in this place? Why did God call us here? If I could just be 100% honest with you. I have come to a place in my life where I have oftentimes found myself more in the place of Naomi than I have in Ruth. I've been bitter many times after leaving this building because I've asked God, why do you keep allowing these things to occur? I've been on my knees in, in this building. I've been on my knees with my wife. And I've asked God, if there's something in me, if it's me, then please change me. I've talked to multiple people over that eight-month period who have found themselves oftentimes in the same place that I have found myself. Hopeless. I have no strength. I was going to go in a completely different direction with this series, and God brought Ruth to mind and said, this is where your church is. There are a lot of people who are hurting there are a lot of people who are in a place of hopelessness. And God is allowing us to journey through this together. Church, there is hope that is found in the word of God. Even when it's hard, there is hope found in obedience. Even when it's hard, Last week I asked you if you were all in, if you were ready to go. This week my challenge to you today is in order to be all in, you must rely upon the source of hope. And so are you ready to find hope in your hopelessness this morning? Are you ready to journey through the, the trials and the struggles of being a Christian God has instilled much fervor in me for truth, 
for honesty, for obedience. And I want to lead you to those places by God's grace. I want us to go there together. I don't want to be the one who steers you in the wrong place. So one, I'm asking, are you all in? Are you ready to go? Two, I'm asking for prayer. (laughs) I'm asking for prayer. This Christian life is not an easy walk. But we can do this together. If, if, we rely on the Holy Spirit. The church, I love you. And I want us to remember that there is hope. Hope that is found in Christ. Let's pray. God, we... We come to you this morning. And God, we we ask of you to remind us of your truth this place in this place. Your word tells us that the Holy Spirit will remind us of truth and he will guide us in that truth. God help us to be like Jeremiah, where he said, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Great is thy faithfulness. God, there is hopelessness that that plagues the lives of so many people just in this building alone, almost overwhelmingly so. We connect with people on a daily basis who have no hope. But God, your word commands of us to have an answer of the hope that is inside of us. And so I'm asking for strength in this place. I'm asking for encouragement amongst brothers and sisters here in this building. That we would push each other closer to Christ. That we would be reminded of the hope that we found in his word. I pray, Lord, that we would never tire of getting to know you. I pray that you would bring us back to the honeymoon phase of our salvation. Restore the joy that is found in you. God, use us. Help us to be moldable and pliable. Give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to walk in obedience. And when things come our way, help us to press into you and not worldly things that will never satisfy us. Do something radical in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.